from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Four years after the Edward Snowden leaks, the National Security Agency is still battling to regain its edge. It, it should be pretty obvious to everyone that what Snowden did was a jolt to our system. It wasn't just Edward Snowden's theft and distribution of highly classified information that caused the problem. He opened a window into the intelligence community's thought process. The things that he did have now become more commonplace in international dialogue. And so that's the biggest thing. He enhanced the awareness of the adversary. Things that were never discussed in the past seem to be routine now. In an exclusive interview, the new deputy director explains what's being done to prevent Edward Snowden from happening again. While we trust each other, we also need to trust but verify. And on this podcast, we learn about how the adversaries and enemies of the U.S. are exploiting what Edward Snowden did four years later. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. The NSA leads the U.S. government in cryptology, and that encompasses both signals intelligence and information assurance products and services, and enables computer network operations in order to gain what it calls a decision advantage for the nation and its allies. And now is perhaps the most important time of any for them to be on their game. We've been talking for four years about the damage that Edward Snowden has done to the NSA, the intelligence community, and the nation as a whole. In 2016, the former deputy director of NSA told us the damage Edward Snowden caused could take years to understand. Well, on November 17, 2017, Target USA spoke to the new Deputy Director of NSA, George Barnes, and he told us, essentially, NSA has not reached the point of complete understanding of how much damage Snowden's leaks did. And not only that, while the agency has made remarkable progress since the start of the devastating drip of highly classified intelligence that Snowden exposed, the agency has not regained its edge. And he laid out an example of how terrorists are still capitalizing on Snowden's indiscretions. You know, it's been pointed out to me through, through, through a number of sources that Edward Snowden may have helped Russia and many other players around the world immensely by what he did with his uh, theft and leaking of information, uh, much of it highly classified stuff that came from, from NSA. Are you of that opinion as well? Uh, I am. Obviously, we've talked about the specific things that he divulged and how those impacted our activities in things like counterterrorism. Uh, but I also think he provided 
insight, global insight, into the sophistication of our abilities. Uh, and so whether or not the actual technologies and techniques that he divulged are relevant and applicable today because technology moves on, I think the fact that um, he showed the depth and breadth of you know, what we're capable of doing is, is a bigger issue. In what sense is it a bigger issue now? Because, and I asked that question in, in the context of a, a story that I read from a major newspaper indicating that NSA was, in their terms, I think, scrambling to try to recover from what he and others have done uh, after effects mm -hmm. of Snowden and others. Is that fair? Well, it, it should be pretty obvious to everyone that what Snowden did was a jolt to our system. Um, and so not only did he endanger what we'd spent years developing, but he endangered the lives that we're trying to protect. And so that's the biggest thing. He en enhanced the awareness of the adversary with respect to what the United States' abilities are. And so I think it's, it's, it's that awareness and the fact that the things that he did have now become more commonplace in international dialogue. Things that were never discussed in the past seem to re be routine now. So it heightens an awareness, not just of, you know, the ones that he directed his activities toward, but the, the global populace. The Snowden leaks uh, and a number of other leaks have come to light since then. Mm -hmm. And we've, we've heard and seen from this organization called the Shadow Brokers and others that there appears to be this drip of information from NSA. Is it understood that Snowden was responsible for that, all of those leaks? Um, it's not understood that he was responsible. Uh, and I think that um, since 2013, we've been trying to understand the extent of the data that he took out of here and where it's ended up. Uh, and so I think that the big thing that we are doing and have needed to do is, under, is to understand really the uh, – the need for a, a culture of security. And so our workforce comes here because of their dedication to the nation, really. They are just driven passionately for what the ideals the United States represents. That's what brings people here. Uh, and the fact that someone from the inside took data and put it in all kinds of hands that shouldn't have had it um, was a jolt to the system. And so our workforce has had to adjust to that. And, it, and that's obviously hurt all of us. Um, it hurt our morale. Uh, not only the fact that it happened by somebody that was working in and among us, but the fact that it in, in, uh, endangered um, our mission in supporting operations around the world, our military operations confronting terrorism uh, mm -hmm. in Afghanistan and many other countries. And so we have people that work tirelessly uh, to try to protect those that are in harm's way, and the actions of this person endangered that. And so that was a big shock to us. Um, and so what we've had to do is just to remind everyone that while we trust each other, we also need to trust but verify. Um, we need to have measures that can determine whether or not people are upholding those commitments that they made when they came on board, mm. right? And so that means we have to look at multi-factor security, um, in a way that uh, enables everyone to do their job and to trust each other and to collaborate, but at the same time ensure that data is not marching out with a bad seed. 
Can you be confident that there are not others like those people internal to the organization now? And can you at least give us a sense of what's being done to find those who may be engaged? Mm -hmm. Give us a sense of what's being done to discourage that. Sure. I think, number one, back to what I mentioned before, uh, making sure that all of us, no matter who we are within our workforce, understand that it's our duty to be mindful of security. Right? And so that's a cultural thing. That's an awareness thing. It's a mindset that all of us need to be mindful. And if we see things or are exposed to things that are in contrast with security norms, we apprise our leadership. Uh, that's number one. Uh, number two, we have to look at various measures and the sophistication of measures to ensure that security is upheld. And so there are three components of that. There's personnel security, of course. There's physical security. And there's the security of our networks because Mr. Snowden took information off of our networks. And so we had to really evaluate what's, what are the practices, the technologies, the uh, processes and governance for how we secure our networks. I had a conversation with your predecessor in um, early 2016, and he said um, U.S. intelligence through various sources, has hard proof that almost a 1,000 foreign intelligence targets, including terrorists tracked by the U.S., have changed their communications methods because they were tipped off by Snowden's leaks. Rick Legend was Barnes' predecessor at NSA, and on February 18, 2016, we had a conversation with him about the cataclysmic impact of Edward Snowden's leaks. How much damage was done? Significant. Uh, the uh, the information that uh, Snowden leaked um, uh, caused immediate risk and long term risk to the um, to the safety of uh, of Americans around the world um, and our friends and allies. Um, the um, I can give you a couple of uh, of examples. Um, we uh, track uh, through our intelligence sources. Um, people who talk about, hey, uh, you know, I've, I've seen this stuff that's been published about what NSA does, and I'm concerned about it because now I'm vulnerable, so I need to change the way that I communicate. We've seen targets talk about that uh, to the, in, the, in the high hundreds, close to 1,000 targets who've done that. You mean bad people? Yeah, yeah, people who are, who are legitimate foreign intelligence targets uh, of the United States. Um, and so um, they have said, I need to change my, uh, my, the way that I communicate in order to avoid uh, being detected by NSA, and a lot of them have actually done that. And that includes um, terrorist groups, including um, uh, at least one terrorist group that was actively engaged in operational pl plans directed against the United States. Former NSA Deputy Director Rick Legend, when Target USA returns, we'll ask the current Deputy Director, George Barnes, which terror group Legend was referring to. These entities have uh, unwavering will to do us harm. The knowledge of their security vulnerabilities heightens their awareness and alters their tradecraft. And so that just makes our job even more complicated. Coming up when we return to Target USA. The National Security Podcast.
This is Target USA. I'm J.J. Green. Before the break, former Deputy Director of NSA Rick Leggett told us that the intelligence community after the Edward Snowden leaks had learned that key targets had changed the way they operated because of information they had learned from the Snowden leaks. And that included at least one terror group that was operationally planning and plotting against the U.S. As we continue this episode of Target USA, we go back to our conversation with George Barnes, the current deputy director at NSA, and we asked him specifically about those entities that Legit was referring to. Have you continued to see that kind of activity? Uh, most certainly, and I can't put a number on it, but I think there's a a growing awareness, um, and that awareness was coming. Snowden accelerated that awareness, but I think that awareness was was steadily coming, uh, and it continues today. And so all of us in our lives are aware because of all the penetrations of um, data in companies that hold our personal identifiable information. We feel increasingly uh, vulnerable. Um, that extends all the way to nefarious actors and terrorists, right? And so they are always mindful of the way that they operate, the tradecraft they use, the techniques, the technologies, and so they are continuously trying to do things to evade the potential of our reach. So essentially he's made him smarter. Those, those, those leaks have made him smarter. Most definitely. Both uh, the terrorist and the different mechanisms they used to operate, as well as the, the broader populace of actors that could be uh, a threat to the United States with respect to their cognizance of their security vulnerabilities. One of the things that he referred to, and you mentioned terrorist as well, was that there was at least one terror group that was essentially identified that was operationally working on targeting the U.S. Have you seen anything related to that organization or others that seem to suggest that there are folks out there who are targeting the U.S. that got some help from Snowden? Right. Um, I'm not sure which one he was referring to uh, when he met with you, but our job has unfortunately been since before 9-11 and certainly since uh, intense and complicated by the intent of terrorist entities, al-Qaeda, of course, ISIS more recently and currently. Um, these entities have uh, unwavering will to do us harm. The knowledge of their security vulnerabilities heightens their awareness and alters their tradecraft. And so that just makes our job even more complicated, uh, and that's why we are late to be successful we continue to refine what we do, but we also do it with mission partners in the U.S. and with our allies. And it takes a, a, a sophisticated web to try to identify and isolate these actors. Can you give us an example of maybe of some kind of trade craft that these organizations might be employing that might you might find alarming or concerning or difficult that may be a result either of their own learning or of uh, of, of, of having some help. Uh, just, just, just an example of something that you may be seeing that you can discuss. Well, if I did that, it'd be in the public eye, and they would be listening. Well, so. well, well okay, so but not, not, not in great detail, but maybe in a way in which can't... Well, first, can you say well, that you've seen anything like that? Sure, certainly. I mean, I think the fact that um, uh, nefarious actors, terrorists being a primary but not the only example, 
uh, try to be fluid in their use of applications, right? Mm -hmm. And so most nefarious actors don't just use one application to communicate. They use multiples. And so that's something that is just the norm nowadays. It was not as much the norm in the past. And so that means that we have to identify, find, and follow bad entities across the continuum of different applications that, I mean, the sky's the limit as far as the number of apps that are out there, especially over-the-top apps on sophisticated uh, phones now. And so our job is much more complicated because we have to identify and piece together fragments of um, information that we can get when we can across the multiple applications to thread together one theme, one intent, one communication. So it's created a lot more work for you to do, but you you have the you have the technology and the people that can get this done, no doubt. We have the people, uh, and the people create the technology, and so that's that's been, you know, our our strategic advantage for sixty five years now at NSA has been to draw in the best of the best with the drive and the passion to protect our nation, and it's that drive that actually brings them to these solutions. Um, just the energy that they exert, they dedicate their lives to these things, they're selfless, and um, that's our power, is our people. And what Deputy Director Barnes said was we have the people. He did not say that they've recovered and have the technology, that they need to replace what was stolen and to catch up. And we spoke specifically about how much was lost with a former NSA director in August of 2016. Mike Hayden, who was also director of the CIA for a time, and he told us it's a very complicated situation. He actually listened to that program in which Legit disclosed the problem of terrorists learning from Snowden. Number one, I saw Rick's comments as well on your show, and what he said was they were approaching 1,000 and counting of legitimate intelligence targets, many of them terrorists, who were changing their communications procedures, toughing them up as a direct result of the Snowden leak. So no one should pretend that this was not without, without great cost. Now, JJ, all advantage in electronic surveillance, all advantage in signals intelligence is transient. You never have permanent capture of a target. And, and so this, this is different in volume, but not different in kind. The, the catastrophe here, is that you lost so many targets in such a compressed period of time. You lose targets, but you generally lose them over time. And so now what NSA has to do is to continue the hunt, which it always does. It's just being forced to do it against a wider field, greater number of targets than is normally the case. It'll recover, but it'll take years and lots of money. And in the meantime, valuable intelligence will be lost. Now, beyond that, J.J., um, there's another dynamic at work out there, and that's simply the, the, the growing global water level of really good encryption. And it's going to be more difficult for agencies like NSA to get to the content of communications simply because the encryption of communications is just getting so much better. Now, we've argued about that in this country. We had Director Comey and, and others, you know, with Apple and Tim Cook and so on. Um, those are interesting discussions, J.J., but at the end of the day, they're not decisive. 
it really doesn't matter what our Congress legislates, what our court says. Globally, the arc of technology is clear. Better and better encryption is getting more and more available. And so that agencies like my old agency at, at NSA, number one, have to work harder to get to content. And then, and then they have to figure out ways to get to actionable information even when they can't get to the content of a call. And here you're talking about things like metadata and, 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 hmm. and chaining and uh, bulk collection and so on. Chilling words from a former director of the NSA. We wanted to better understand how nefarious actors and terrorists specifically are hiding from NSA and the U.S. intelligence community now that they know, because of Edward Snowden's leaks, how authorities have been tracking them. And we turn to Brig Barker. He's a former FBI supervisory special agent until 2016, who amongst other duties during his career led a counterterrorism team. We asked him to explain it to us. I would call really the utilization of encrypted apps or mobile messaging apps probably one of the most important developments in the terrorism slash counterterrorism realm in recent years. What they've done, as I've mentioned, um, it's like a good cornerback on the football field. They take away half the field. So um, what the terrorists have done is really created an impenetrable chamber or kind of a uh, an unreachable island where they can conduct their communications on attack planning, network building, surveillance, new tactics, uh, all these areas within that realm that cannot be penetrated by counterterrorism uh, authorities at this point. So it really has, like I said, taken away half the field. And so now we're, ca we're trying to catch up. Uh, we're trying to still uh, you know, monitor what they're doing, but uh, they've just created a wall or this kind of chamber that uh, we just can't penetrate at this point. You have a lot of tools that you can use when tracking terrorists. So explain why this specter of encryption has upset the flow and the ability to track them so much. We have a variety of um, investigative techniques that we can utilize. Uh, and that includes, you know, general surveillance, you know, following someone in their vehicle. You know, we can look at financial records. We can look at phone records. Uh, you know, we can talk to witnesses. Uh, but one of the greatest techniques is really a surreptitious monitoring of their communications, whether it's on their computer or on their phone, whatever it may be. So they have essentially taken that away. And, and of course, that's where, uh, you know, the terrorists are going to migrate is to this area where they have uh, protected communications. So, you know, apps like, for instance, WhatsApp, uh, as an example, um, is encrypted 256 bit encryption that cannot be penetrated, cannot be monitored at this point. They can send photos, they can communicate by phone or text, whatever it may be. And we don't have access to that. So. Again, as we know, the terrorists like ISIS, they will recruit or they'll meet individuals in an open forum like Twitter, and then they'll immediately drop down to the dark web where the critical planning and communications will take place. So for me, you know, I spent my last 18 years uh, in the counterterrorism realm, really looking at all the different techniques we can use strategizing, implementing what techniques were available to us, uh, really see this as a critical development. 
That was Brig Barker, a former FBI supervisory special agent with special expertise in counterterrorism. As a result of the Edward Snowden leaks and other challenges that NSA was facing, it came up with a program called NSA 21. And according to the agency itself, it's designed to position the agency to meet tomorrow's challenges by staying ahead of threats while effectively leveraging its current missions. And that is thwarting terrorists, protecting the war fighter, enhancing cybersecurity, protecting national security systems and strategic weapons. So we asked if that indeed was actually happening. I'll say NSA 21 is working. It was a big change. And so it takes a while for any big change to settle in. The last time we had had a change in structure that of that magnitude was in 2001. And it took really two to three years for everything to settle into the new structure. The different people and the different organizations understanding how to operate with each other, what the processes and procedures and governance frameworks were. And so we're in the midst of that. We're just one year, just a little bit over one year into NSA 21. So we still have a while to work all of those pieces out, which would be natural for anything of this size and magnitude. But that being said, we've already realized benefits. Uh, and the very reason that we restructured was to be able to be, to continue to be as good as we have been into the future for the next 10 to 15 years before we have to reassess again. And so examples of that were bringing together um, operational people that were our two different mission authorities, Foreign Intelligence and Information Assurance. When we're looking at cybersecurity, we need both sides to influence and inform each other so that we're stronger. And so the intelligence side informs the defensive side as to what other nation and non-nation state cyber actors are doing, hopefully in advance of when they actually apply their techniques against us. And so that makes our defenses stronger. And what we did with NSA 21 is we brought together technologists and operators from both sides, retaining their, their own expertise, their own authorities and what they do, but mixing them together through the structure in ways that, that were not as natural in the past. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that, that that initiative and everything else that NSA is doing, not to suggest that you were never the preeminent organization that, that works in the space you work in, but recognizing what took place after Snowden and others caused, at least in the public eye, some setbacks, has this given you your edge again? I think it will. Um, Timing was not always on our side. We had the losses from Edward Snowden at a time when we were realizing as a nation that we were extremely, extremely fragile from a cybersecurity standpoint. And so NSA had to push forward. We couldn't just sit back and wait for things to settle out. We had to figure out how do we need to adjust our structure, our technology, our interactions and support to customers that really needed more and more support from us we had to adjust so that we could be more dynamically responsive because the the cybersecurity threat really affects every piece of our society. And so NSA is uniquely postured to support, provide insights to our other government agencies that have purviews that we do not have, Mm -hmm. DHS, FBI, um, many others. We had to dynamically respond. And so it wasn't convenient and it made it even harder because the workforce was dealing with losses, structural adjustments. But we dove in and did it, and we're working through it. Mr. Barnes, from a journalistic point of view, I think it's important for me to ask you this just to be transparent about what uh, I heard Mm -hmm. just now 
in response to my question about your edge, uh, to make sure that I understand you correctly, were you saying that you did lose a bit of an edge because of Snowden? Uh, when Snowden, when the releases happened back in 2013, we did have a, a, a loss, obviously. We had to react mm-hmm. and respond much more rapidly than we otherwise would have. We, would, we always evolve our technology because te- we have to ride with technology. Uh, and so the techniques we're using today – would not have necessarily been the techniques that we had when we lost them when Snowden's losses happened. No matter what, we would have evolved away from those technologies because of the pace of change of technology. But what he did is he removed our ability to use the techniques and the tradecraft we had at the time, and that was a jolt, right? Yeah. So it took you, obviously it takes you some time to build new things and do other things. So you said it will um, help you to get regain your edge. How close are you? Uh, well, luckily, in my position, I get to see the fruits of what we do every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing what we continue to do. And it's, it's unfortunate because in the press we hear about all the, the impact on morale and losses. Obviously, whenever an organization goes through a big structural change, it's hard, right? Um, but at the same time, I look every day, I get briefings every day on all the – defensive and intelligence wins that we're having and the impact that has on our customers, they just want more. It's just amazing to see how energized they get by what we can do. And it's kind of, it's mystifying to them because on the one hand, they would think that we would be reeling from the supposed losses and the losses, but our, our pioneering spirit transcends. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really the power that we represent is, you know, our people really are unwavering in their commitment and, that manifests itself in continued success. That's George Barnes, Deputy Director of the National Security Agency. You're going to be hearing more from him in the coming weeks. And you'll be hearing more from others at NSA as we take a look at how it's preparing to educate itself and its workforce for the challenges that lay ahead in this difficult fight to regain its edge. That's it for this episode. Coming up on our next program, whether it's terrorism, anarchists, cyber criminals, nation states, intelligence, or the U.S.'s own counterintelligence drama that's playing out in the Congress. Join us on Target USA for the latest. Thank you for checking in with us. Follow us on Twitter at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. That's T-U-S-A Podcast. And if you have any thoughts about programs, send me an email at jgreen, one word, that's the letter J, the color green, at whiskey, tango, Oscar Papa, jgreen, at wtop.com. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. The Serial Killer Podcast, hosted by me, Thomas Weiberg Thune, is the podcast dedicated to serial killers. Who they were, what they did, and how. Join me as I sit down bi-weekly to bring you, dear listener, into the dark land of serial murder and psychopathy. The show goes into graphic detail on the most infamous and lesser-known serial killers from around the world, with each episode covering one unique serial killer. So far, the show has covered serial killer superstars, such as BTK, Jeffrey Dahmer, and the Yorkshire Ripper. 
and lesser-known killers such as Elias Abuelazan and Anatoly Onoprienko. Be advised, this show is not for children as it takes you deep into the twisted world of ultimate evil. You can find me exclusively at podcastone.com or on the new Podcast One app. Also, don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.